0: Good morning, Mars Hill. Uh, Your teaching text today can be found on page 853 of your Shed Bible in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through chapter 4, verses 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, Mars Hill. It is good to be with you all. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kyle, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And as you have already discovered through the reading of our teaching text, my unbroken streak of preaching from 2 Kings this summer is broken. We are not in 2 Kings, but we are in the book of Jonah. Someone is rejoicing. They They were done with that book. Well, I think what we will discover this morning is that this story is equally provoking and challenging to anything else we will discover and find in the Old Testament and perhaps in the rest of Scripture. It's a story that pushes in some ways against our modern sensibilities. It's a story of great miracles. And it's a story in which there are many different avenues we could explore this morning, but I want us to explore one thing in particular. I wanna talk about stories that point to other stories. And in that, I wanna talk about a practice, which will lead us to talk about another practice which will lead us back to talking about a story that points to another story. But first, we need to talk about the great state of Michigan. Now, Michigan is a great state for many, many reasons. One of them is the current reality that we are in summer in Michigan. Although this morning felt a little bit like fall, did it not? And... Fall is great in Michigan as well. Both of these things are great. But that's not the only thing that makes the state of, great, of Michigan really great. It is the state of automobiles. It is home to the automobile industry. It's the state that is home to the longest suspension bridge between two anchor points in the Western Hemisphere, the Mackinac Bridge. It's the state that calls the Sleeping Bear Dunes an M22 home. It's the state where your hand conveniently serves as a map. And it's the state with the best tomatoes and corn west of the Atlantic and east of the Pacific. And in the lake household, corn and and tomatoes are a complete meal. You don't need anything else. Michigan is also home to 129 lighthouses, more than any other state. And of course, the greatest of these is Big Red in Holland State Park. Now you may disagree, but I'm not here for your opinion, okay? (laughs) It is the greatest (laughs) and these lighthouses guide those who are on the lake and perhaps even us who are on the land who could see them from far away, they guide us to where we need to go. They line the coast giving direction, helping people to see and to navigate where they are headed. And much like lighthouses along the coast, here in the book of Jonah, we have some lighthouses. You see, the book of Jonah is full of great challenge and mystery. And like a storm on Lake Superior, it can be easy to get caught up in a series of questions and curiosities about what is happening in this book. But the narrator of the book of Jonah leaves a trail of clues. Within this story, story punctuating sort of the coastline are lighthouses that guide us and point us maybe in the right direction. Here in the book of Jonah, it's the Hebrew word gadol. The Hebrew word gadol means large or big or exceedingly. It shows up over and over again in this story, over 11 times within this short four-chapter story. Gedol is used again and again. It's used right as we open this story. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh is called a great city several times throughout this book, a big city. As we heard just moments ago in our teaching text, that it's a three days journey across. It is a large and imposing city. And then the story continues to unfold. Aidan, you can go to the next slide, that Jonah flees. From the Lord. Instead of heading towards Nineveh, he turns and he heads in the opposite direction towards Tarshish. Fleeing from what God is asking him to do and he finds a boat and he pays the wage to come upon this boat that is sailing in a different direction and God throws a great wind Upon the sea. And it brings about a great storm. A storm so great that the ship threatens to break into pieces. And so the sailors begin throwing cargo over the side of the ship, hoping to lighten it so water doesn't come in. But this doesn't seem to help. And so they begin to try to figure out upon whose account has this storm come upon the sea? And so they roll lots to discover that it's Jonah. And they come to Jonah and they ask him, why, why is this storm here? And he reveals to them that he worships the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And the text says, they feared a great fear. They had a big fear. And they asked Jonah, what have you done? And so they tried to row the ship back to land, but they can't. And Jonah says, the only way is to throw me into the water. And so after much trying to just get the ship back, they throw him in, and the sea becomes calm. And they fear a great fear of the Lord. And then the Lord appoints a big fish to come and swallow Jonah. And Jonah's in this fish and he prays to the lord and and he is spit out onto dry land, and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, saying, "Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh a second time." And we heard in our teaching text today that it is a very big city, and so Jonah goes in a day into the city, a day 's journey, and proclaims this message. In 40 days, the city will be overturned, and message reaches the king, and from the great to the little, from the people to the animals, they turn, and they put on sackcloth, and they repent of their evil ways. But this displeases Jonah greatly. He's really angry about it. And so he goes out east of the city and he sort of sits there, maybe hoping that something will happen, that they'll turn back to their evil ways and God will bring destruction on this and it's hot. It's like the burning sun is scorching down on him. And so he tries to build a little shelter, but God appoints a plant to come and to grow over him. And it gives him shade and it brings him great joy. The story of Jonah is a story of great things. A story of big things. In some ways, this story uses this word to point to something. The story of Jonah tries to capture in this particular moment something so big, something so large, something so excessive that it needs these grand gestures, these big words, these excessive actions to capture it, to point to it. And so in this way, Jonah the book of Jonah as a whole captures something and points to something so big that it can only be told in one big story. It tries to capture what it looks like for God's love to be in action. What it looks like for God to be on the move. And in this way, the book of Jonah is a story that points to a larger story. One that is unfolding throughout the entire Old Testament. That God is concerned about what God has made. That God is indeed one who is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God's love is so big that it can only be told with this incredibly amazing story. Jonah seems to leave these little lighthouses along the way, pointing us, giving direction that yes, God's love really is that big. God's love really is something that will pursue people to the depths of the ocean, to the belly of the fish, to the far country. That God's love really will pursue into the hallway, in the boardroom and the classroom. That God's love will travel from the graveside to the bedside. A God's love will travel from the laboratory to the dormitory. A God's love really is that big. This is who God is within God's self. One who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. Jonah is a story about big things and it's a story that points to another story. But this love that is revealed in this story both comforts and welcomes those who are lost and it convicts and cuts to the heart of the proud. It is a disruptive love, one that awakens people from their slumber, one that calls people to reorient their lives around it, that it is so big and large that nothing else can take priority over it. That it is the gravitational force that pulls people. It's the thing that plays first chair in someone's life. And it is here at this place and in this tension that we see what Jonah struggles with. And it's here that I think I find compassion for Jonah. Jonah is someone who knows the love of God. He knows the big story. We hear it in chapter two. And this incredible prayer that he prays in the belly of the fish, he says this, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. He knows, as we heard in our teaching text, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He says, God, I knew. I knew when when I was back home that when you called me, that this is what would happen. And that's why I tried to flee. I knew it, that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You turn from the calamity upon which you would send. He knows it, and perhaps he even believes it. But Jonah struggles to live it. He struggles to allow it to be the thing that completely reorients his life. He struggles to take up the words that we hear in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that, oh, that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your being and all of your might. Jonah struggles that This love asks for our allegiance, as Tim highlighted last week. What I think Jonah struggles with, what I think he is uncomfortable with, is what God's big love asks of him. He's uncomfortable of what it asks of his allegiance, that perhaps Jonah is... Betrothed to another, that his heart is for another, perhaps it's for himself and the, the sort of self-righteous anger that he feels that God would forgive these people for the evil that they have done. Perhaps his heart is betrothed to an idea of what God should do or how God should show up holding together God's justice and God's mercy. God, how, how could you act this way? This is, this is not how a God acts. Perhaps Jonah's heart is betrothed to his own people and his nation. After all, the Ninevites were the great enemy of Israel, doing horrific deeds to the people. Jonah is uncomfortable with what God's love asks of him. And I wonder how many of us are uncomfortable with what God's love asks of us. Where in our lives are we uncomfortable with what God's love asks of us? Jonah is... A big story. A story so big that it points to other stories. And there's big things that happen in this story, miraculous things, the greatest of which I think is the turning of an entire city. Nowhere else in Scripture do we see this sort of prophetic success. Jonah is the most successful prophet, much to his dismay. He comes with a message and an entire city turns to the Lord. How how does that happen? It's incredible. And it's this particular moment that has become a practice For the Jewish people, that every year in late September and early October, from the 10 days that stretch from Rosh Hashanah all the way to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Jews confess their sins to one another. They seek forgiveness from one another for the entire year. They go to family members and friends and coworkers and classmates and say, if I have wronged you this past year, please let me know so I can seek your forgiveness because the day of atonement is coming. And then on this final day, the day of atonement, the day when sins are forgiven, A great prayer ceremony is held, and the text, the story that orients them, that brings them to pray confession, is this story. The story of Jonah, because in it they see that even a foreign nation, a foreign people, heard the word and they turned. And they saw that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and bounding in steadfast love. They have this practice that points to a larger story. And similarly, each week, as we did earlier this morning, we gather together and we have a practice. One where we confess to God and to one another what we have done and what we have left undone. We confess to one another that the allegiance of our heart is often betrothed to another. We confess to God that we have not loved God with all of our heart and our being and our might. That we, like Jonah, are at times uncomfortable with what God's love asks of us. We, too, have this practice that points to a larger story. But the book of Jonah doesn't just invite us into our own practice of confession, for us, the book of Jonah also points to a larger story, because the book of Jonah is a big story that points to another story, a story about a woman who, having lost a single coin, ferociously sweeps her house, searches on hands and knees for this lost coin and upon finding this one lost coin, this measly penny, she rejoices and calls her friends and her family to come and celebrate with her. The story of a shepherd who having a hundred sheep loses one and goes searching far and near, high and low for this one lost sheep And upon finding it, calls all of the community together and says, come rejoice with me. The story of a father who has two sons who have lost their true home. And the father goes out and beckons both of them to come home, to come into the father's love. The story of Jonah points to this larger story of a God who, in freedom and love, enters into the world that God has made, taking on the flesh of a human baby, experiencing the pain and the suffering of human existence, living as a marginalized and oppressed person, being taken to death, even death on a cross, to demonstrate God's big love for us. That in Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection and ascension, God's love is on display, that God's love is in action, that this is what the love of God looks like, and it's a love that beckons each of us to take up our own cross, to turn our own hearts, and to come and to follow him. Jonah is a story about big things. And it's a story that points to another story. And it's that story. The story of God's big and amazing love. The story that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The story that God invites each and every one of us to turn our hearts and to be to God, to be allegiant to God's love and to allow that to reorient us that is told every single week when we come to this table. That this is the table of a great feast, a love feast in which God demonstrates God's love to us once again, providing for us and sustaining us inviting us to be God's people and to make our home in God. And so we rehearse that story, beginning by saying, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And so we pray, holy and right it is, in our joyful duty to give you thanks and praise at all times and in all places, O Lord our God, almighty and everlasting creator. For you created the earth in all of its plenty and the heavens in all of their glory and you have given us life and breath in this creation and you sustain us by your love. And yet you have de- demonstrated how big your love is, the fullness of your love in sending your son Jesus Christ to reconcile us and all creation to you. And so we join our hearts and our voices With all of the heavenly hosts, in blessing and adoring your name, and holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And so send your Holy Spirit, we pray that the bread that we break and the cup that we bless would be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. And that in receiving these gifts, we would be joined to your church and be joined to Jesus Christ. And that you would sustain your church and your people in their faith. And that just as grains from Many fields have been gathered into this one loaf and grapes from many vineyards into this one cup. May you gather your church from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. And so come, Lord Jesus, come. And this is the story that we have heard. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after they had feasted, he took And he blessed it and he said, this is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so whenever we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We proclaim this big and amazing story of God's love. And we proclaim that we will follow God wherever God's love asks us to go to the glory of God. And so we join our voices with people around the world who come to this same table, though they be at different places and happening at different times, it is one table, the Lord's table. And so we proclaim this mystery of our faith that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And so come, all you who are hungry, Come, all you who are thirsty. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come. Not because we ought to come. Not because we should come, but because we may come. Because the Lord invites us to come and to taste and to see that the Lord is good. This is his table, and he calls you to come. And so we have stations around the room in which you can take in these elements, where you can come and receive them here from Beth and Mike. All of the elements are allergen-free. You may also pray at this time. You can put a prayer in our prayer wall. Our staff will be praying for those prayers this week. You can light a candle as a way of sort of putting some physical action to this prayer that you have. And of course, be people, John's in the back there, would love to pray with you if you would like prayer with someone. And so come. All things are